1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Todd Kaplan, the CMO of a little soda company called Pepsi. And Todd is responsible for all brand creative communications and commercial execution across Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, Pepsi Zero Sugar, while building a long-term strategy and new product innovation for the brand overall. He's been instrumental in creating big cultural movements like bringing JLo and Shakira to the 2020 Pepsi Halftime Show and making history Super Bowl halftime show and making history for the first two Latina artists to headline the event plus Maybe some of you saw this year's halftime show and we'll get to that in a little bit. And in less than two years, Todd has led the Pepsi brand to major positive sales growth in the last 10 years. And prior to joining Pepsi, he worked for Millsport, a sports marketing consultancy, which I don't even know if he remembers that anymore. It's been so long where he oversaw the Visa international business. And Todd has a great pedigree, he holds a BA in economics in Northwestern and an MBA from a little school called Yale. And Todd has held pretty much every role under the sun at Pepsi and has earned his seat at the top. So let's dig into it and find out more about how he's gotten there. Todd Kaplan, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? We are doing good, my man. How's everything in your world?
2: Everything is great. Everything is great. Can't complain.
1: Awesome. Good stuff. So we are certainly going to get into the career journey because your career is fascinating and there's so much wisdom and golden nuggets to be learned there. But I want to start with the, uh, I guess it's the elephant in the room here, the 2022 halftime show. I mean, <laughs> that was epic. I mean, let's talk about the awesome, the man. the movement here. Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Mary J., Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and, and 50 Cent. How did you keep the 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 hanging upside down 50 cent uh <laughs> under under like was it planned the whole time that he was going to come in upside down was that his call let's yeah, let's no, have
2: always, an exclusive here so it's always hard to keep a secret with that kind of stuff and the confidentiality we have around that whole process is is pretty amazing how we really have a small small group that really knows what it is what the plan is and all that and so the intent was always to bring in 50 and and to have um you know, all of Dre's, call it lineage, you know, as a part of the show and all that stuff. And the upside down thing was really a nod to (laughs) his video uh, for Up in the Club. That is actually, I don't know if you've seen that video, but if you remember, it's Dre and Eminem in the lab and they're creating the next big rapper and they've built almost like Frankenstein 50 Cent and he comes down uh, with his rock hard abs, uh, you know, from the ceiling uh, and does his thing. So uh, that was kind of a nod to that.
1: Yeah, that was that was epic, man. I mean, everybody. I mean, you saw you saw Kanye. You saw everybody up in the stands. I mean, it was LA. It was bumping. It was awesome. Was there? What was maybe your your personally? What were you maybe scared about going into this? Like, what the hell could go wrong? I think
2: a lot of things. Well, personally, I'll tell you. As a um, you know, I'm from Southern California originally. I grew up on West Coast hip hop. This was a very personal show for me in terms of uh, yeah. very exciting and just seeing you know a lot of the. The music I, I grew up on and and all that kind of stuff. But what I would say is, um, you know, when you do anything at that scale, you know, the scale of the Pep Super Bowl Halftime show is massive. It's a hundred million viewers, right? And it's, uh, obviously anything can go wrong when a lot of that's beyond your control. I think at the, at our level of the, the type of things we were looking at is around, um, you know, how to call down a set list to, uh, you know, when you have, you know, an, that many artists, you know, over 40 plus Grammys, all this kind of stuff, how do you get, a 12 minute set list that uh, everyone's going to leave feeling fulfilled and excited. Um, a lot of the logistics, I don't know if you saw, we had a, a whole second screen experience that yep. we had built around it called the ultra pass where there was a lot of logistics around that, making sure that came out right. And just, just making sure overall, you know, we do a lot on social media throughout the show as well uh, to make sure we're the most talked about brand. And I think at the end of the Super Bowl. Seventy-two percent of all conversations about brands were about Pepsi on Super Bowl Sunday. So I think we it delivered we did okay there.
1: <laughs> I mean, was there was there any every, any ever like fear or doubt that it wasn't going to be received well? I mean, you can, I mean with that kind of lineup, I mean that's like no, a ninety-nine point nine percent accuracy. It's yeah, going to well, kick there, ass.
2: The thing though, music music is always super subjective, right? And there's always somebody who's a hater of this or doesn't like this genre or this artist or really loves that or wants this song or that. But um, especially when you're playing to such a large crowd of the Super Bowl, uh, you gotta you gotta go for the masses. And I think uh, when you look at the range of artists and the range of songs and the impact of how historic this was, uh, we felt really good about it. We knew we were onto something from the announcement at the outset, where literally we broke the internet with all the the PR and buzz and yeah, everything going on, and then we. Poured some fuel on it in the lead-up. We built this uh, really cool spot called the the Call, where we showed all these artists coming awesome. together like an Avengers type thing. It was, it was that was fun. cool?
1: That 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 was totally. Did you catch on a side note? Did you catch there was a viral clip that went around of Eminem talking to Al Michaels? I didn't see that one. No. I'll, I'll forward it over to you afterwards, but it was, it just, it was kind of a testament to, um, I mean, a lot of rappers out there have said that Eminem is quite possibly the best rapper of all time, which is, which is crazy. Some very well established folks out there, but it was a conversation between Al Michaels and Eminem where Eminem was just showing so much respect and gratitude to Al Michaels and his craft. And it just really spoke to who Eminem was. Um, have you had personal interactions with, with Eminem?
2: Um, I mean, throughout the entire process, they're very limited in terms of how we were interacting with them on set, with the call, and and with their management. We primarily would do a lot of most mostly interactions with. But uh, no, I'm very well versed in in M, and and he's a class act. You know, he does a lot of a lot of great stuff, and uh, it's no surprise.
1: That's awesome, man. and kudos to you and your entire team. I know that there was a massive team behind it to make something like that happen, oh, and it was it was awesome. So kudos to that. So let's hit the rewind button here, and sure. you know, on this show, we love to talk about the career journey because people probably ask you all the time, "How the hell did you? How the hell did you get there, Todd?" And uh, all they have to do is pull back the curtain and take a look. But I want to go back to your days at um, Northwestern, which um, correct me if I'm wrong. You really didn't expect it to be that cold there, right? <laughs> <Well, listen, laughs> That's kind of a shock to you. It's a Southern Cal guy. I'm a
2: SoCal guy. I grew up with like sand on my feet, you know, wearing flip-flops all the time and shorts and the whole deal. And then going out to Chicago for undergrad at Northwestern, I was like, holy hell, it's cold out here. Um, it was like, you know, negative 20 with chill sometimes walk into class and stuff like that. So that was a little bit of a wake-up call, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to try something new and get out. And it was a great school. Uh, what I loved about Northwestern was it was a, uh, you had the big D one kind of rah rah football Big Ten you know kind of vibe, and their football team was doing well then. But you also had it was a small enough school where uh, it was only about seventy five hundred kids undergrad, and so it wasn't like a massive like you're just one of you know millions of right. kids. And uh, and it was a really great experience. Really enjoyed it out there.
1: No, that's that's fantastic there. And um, let's talk about something that you established there, which was called Ed Shop. And correct me if I'm wrong was this the is this the first student run ad agency in the country? Like how how did you guys come up with this? Yeah.
2: No, it's is that funny. a
1: fact? Because so, um, I, I was like, I was like, first ever.
2: That was reported by the Chicago Sun Times, so uh, reputable source. Again, I don't know how else uh, <laughs> you know whatever, but but basically, here here was the deal is um, as an undergrad, Northwestern obviously is a you know Kellogg from a business school standpoint is one of the best you know marketing schools and all that kind of stuff. But as an undergrad, as an economics major, getting into business, it was very kind of liberal arts focused, and there was no real outlet, you know, I wanted to, I discovered I wanted to get into advertising and marketing and this more kind of creative side. And there wasn't really a lot of outlets at undergrad for that. It was like, oh, you can take these kind of classes here. And every time I'd look for internships and talk to people about, oh, you want to work at an agency, they say, well, what's your portfolio? Have you made any ads? Have you done anything? And what have so you done? I connected a couple problems where it was, A, there was this problem of, um, you know, someone like me looking for experience. And then B... When you are at college and you look at the marketing and the quality of marketing on campus, it's it's pretty horrible back then. And they just had people taping flyers to posters and on the wall and on street lamps and on the ground. And it was just very untargeted. So I said, hey, what if we created a like group of like-minded students who want to get experience in marketing and advertising, created ads and marketing for student groups on campus? And it grew from there. And then we get into local businesses and we got Amazing. risen up by the Chicago sometimes and it just all that. And it, be, it became one of the the bigger groups there at the time. It was was a lot of fun.
1: And is it safe to say that's really where you where you got the itch, where you fell in love with marketing and advertising?
2: I think so. I've always been um, fascinated by, I'd say, the consumer psychology of it all and what makes people buy things and the creative process. I've always been very creative and into, you know, art and music and a lot of that kind of stuff as well. But um yeah, I think that's where I really learned that there's an industry behind this, as well as where I also learned, you know, my background is also, we can get into this in sports marketing, where I also kind of started to cut my teeth there and very passionate about sports and uh, and all that. And so started to kind of discover a little bit more there and and get into it.
1: You know, we're going to talk about multi sport in a second there, but you, you mentioned something interesting, which I want to dig into, starting to understand consumer psychology. Do you remember, Todd, do you remember that like that first kind of aha moment in those early days where something clicked? about consumer psychology, something that really stuck with you now to this day?
2: Yeah, I think it was just the, um, you know, being in Chicago at the time and Michael Jordan and the Bulls and oh, yeah. all of that. I mean, obviously, everyone knows Michael Jordan, the Nike story, all, all the kind of stuff there. And just seeing kind of the power behind why somebody would, you know, wait in line for a pair of Jordans and not for, a you know, another comparable shoe that still fit your feet and you could go running in and what Like, just the the psyche of it all and the role of brand building and, and all of that i I just thought was was really interesting to me and um, you know and also being you know st- as I started to get exposure to the sports space too seeing the business behind that and the opportunities to pull those different levers was was really exciting.
1: I mean it's exciting to see it all come together, and you know the the early roles that you had talking about um, mill sports specifically on the visa account, visa account that was yeah. a, an, an, an in-house role.
2: Yeah. So, so I, so while I was an undergrad, I also just before quickly clicking into that, I, sure. uh, I was a part of, a, I don't know if you know, Darren Ravel. He was like a, a sports business reporter. He worked at ESPN and CNBC and he's still doing a lot of great stuff now. And uh, he uh, was a sports business guy and we, I kind of worked with him on his uh, sports business radio show doing the sports business speed and trying to get her, if you would, I interned at Fox Sports Net Chicago when I was an undergrad in the U.S. Olympic Committee and just really got my, my feet wet. So after undergrad, uh, because it was so cold in Chicago, I'm like, I got to get the hell out of Dodge and get back to uh, the West Coast. So I moved to San Francisco and uh, found this company called Millsport, but they were actually based uh, in Connecticut on the East Coast. I actually worked out of Visa International, their global headquarters in Foster City, California, um, as a, you know a Millsport employee and worked on all their global sports sponsorships. So Olympic Games, Rugby World Cup, and worked with all their operating regions around the world and building marketing programs and all that around a lot of these huge properties, which was a great experience.
1: No, I love it too. And and let's pause there for a second. And I I remember we spoke a few weeks ago, we talked about the power of internships and I've seen a lot of buzz across LinkedIn and other platforms that are kind of I don't know if the word is undervaluing or undermining the value of an internship. And maybe people speaking more to the to the fact that internships should be paid versus unpaid, which I know back in my day, I don't think I got paid for any internships, but it's yeah. a different time and a different place. But I'd love if you could just speak to the power of your early internships and how that really shaped your career trajectory and 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 laid the groundwork forward. And one one quick thing that I always say is. What I found most important about my internships was I learned, Todd, a lot of things that I didn't like early on. Uh-huh. I knew I didn't like the numbers. I didn't like doing the the Excel kind of stuff back in the day there too. I mean, it's funny because I do it all now as a small business owner, um, but I also learned to outsource that too. But tell us a little bit about your internship days and the value of that.
2: Yeah, no, internships. I mean, that's really where you get your feet wet and you see what you like, what you don't like. I remember one summer my very first summer was like, I just tried a bunch of stuff. Uh, there was a local business that I worked on in Southern California while I was also a towel boy at a hotel pool. <laughs> you know, like right. it was just trying to get your feet wet and to see how it is business work. But then as you get more focused with it, some of the ones I talked about, you know, as I got exposure to the media side with Fox Sports Net Chicago and saw the inner workings of how. How it all goes down even if my role was pretty pretty small you know i was at the michael jordan retirement press conference crazy. uh there is a, you know and then i took a summer and took my entire summer my junior year lived at the out in colorado at the u.s olympic training center as one of their interns and uh that was a great experience i've made lifelong friends that i still keep in touch with today there i've uh learned about i mean you you really just learn the whole business you're really it's immersed amazing. there in that kind of experience and uh Yeah, I think internships are a great way to understand what you like, also to understand what you don't like Uh, and what you observe. I think most of the learning, and this is one of the things, is just by watching and observing all the other people who are not interns who work there and seeing the organizational dynamics and politics and what goes into this and how people are in a meeting and not to mention just learning how to do things like PowerPoint and Excel and all the, the fundamentals.
1: I think that's so critical there. And and it, and it goes to the value of the early jobs, the internships, and especially a lot of what's happening now. You know, kind of we roll out of this post-pandemic and a lot of companies are returning to the office. Some are not. And I really, truly believe that a lot of the younger workforce out there are, are losing those opportunities to... To physically see the yes. interactions of senior level executives, you can't replicate that on Zoom.
2: I, I got to tell you, that is one of the things that I think people are significantly underestimating about the non-work environment that Zoom has and all that, that there's many great things, the flexibility, the uh, uh, all of it is well documented. But I would say, you know, aside from the formal meetings, if you're a junior person, you're probably in maybe one to two meetings a a month with a very senior person, you know, at best, you know, and you're probably not in the very important meetings where you're seeing them present to other senior people or how they're doing or hearing them even on the phone from outside their office or hearing how they're interacting or seeing how they carry themselves. And that's where so much learning is through, I think, watching and observing people in meetings, seeing how they give creative feedback, seeing how politically they change when they're talking to one part of the organization versus another versus a different kind of leader so um i think that's a a huge benefit of being back in the office and uh you know almost through that osmosis of just learning uh is important
1: no 100 percent. so let's dig into your story of how you get into pepsi and i'd love if you could uh tell I, as as people like to say long story long when you met uh indra uh noi is that is that how you pronounce her last name
2: indra Nui, Nui, Indra yeah.
1: Nui, the former ceo of pepsi and it's really inspiring i'd love if you could share that story for everybody
2: sure yeah yeah no worries um so i was in so after working for a number of years at uh at millsport with visa in san francisco i came out east to business school uh at yale we're in uh As you do in business school, one of the things you want to do is see a bunch of speakers and just immerse yourself as people come to campus and they get a lot of really great speakers there. And so Indra came and she, uh, for those who don't know, was the former CEO of PepsiCo. At the time, she wasn't yet, but uh, she was there speaking and was an alumnus of the school. And I went up to her after the the leaders forum there and just said, hey, um, I'm Todd. You know, how's it going? Do you recruit? for marketing. And she had no idea really. And she turned around to Dave Berwick, who was the CMO at the time and said, do we recruit here? And he said, yes, we do. Um, even though I don't believe they did. (laughs) And, uh, and they ended up coming back, uh, doing interviews on campus. And I got the job and the internship and, uh, ended up interning that summer for PepsiCo. And, uh, now, fast forward. I'm still still here. Now, that was not the plan, to be clear. But it was. It's been such a great place, and uh, the internship, you know, was such a great experience uh, across all boards. So, and we, I can talk about that internship too. It was fascinating. So, yeah,
1: but let, let's let's go to the let's go back to that moment. And I did you would you credit the confidence that you had the ability to walk up to a top global CEO as a college student to walk up to her and ask her that? Would you would you credit the confidence to
0: what would you credit to?
2: I don't know. I've always been very much a, uh, well, you you know about like my entrepreneurial knack and the what I did in college and all that. Like, I've always been more of like a, call it like a go-getter, just go out and do and try and put yourself out there. You know, even to get my internship at the USOC, I sent out about like 500 cover letters and resumes, did a whole mail merge spreadsheet thing, you know, to just to try to get out there and to continue to just So I, you know, listen. You're in business school to learn and to to try these things. And why not? What What's the worst case? She's like, "Sorry, I'm busy. No, thank you." And like that's it. So uh, take your shot.
1: Take 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 your shot.
2: And and honestly, and there's there's a there's a fun story on how uh, when I was an intern, how I I feel like one of the reasons why I think one of the reasons why I got hired, but it's basically um, you know at the end of the summer. So PepsiCo has all these interns in marketing. They do this thing called the Intern Bash. Uh, every single year, where basically, you know, they have all a big party for all the interns at the end of the summer, but they make them do some sort of silly kind of well, embarrassment. I mean, it was a little bit of hazing, pre hazing. It wasn't legit hazing, but you know, like it's that kind of stuff. And uh, in my year, they had a 1980s fashion show. Oh, God. Uh, Out in the back for the entire company and every that little runway and everybody dressed up, you know, someone dressed up like Madonna, someone else dressed up like, you know, Miami Vice, whatever, and did the whole 1980s. And so I thought, for some reason at the time, I thought it would be a good idea to dress up like Tom Cruise in Risky Business, where if you don't know that movie, he's basically wearing like a long sleeve button down shirt, sunglasses and underwear yep. and socks and <laughs> it does a whole lip sync to, you know, this old time rock and roll. Stuff. So I, I literally did that uh, for the company. And I think uh, I think that helped put me on the map where they're like, who the I, hell is that guy?
0: I think, I the, think the, was- you
2: know, he's he's got the. uh bold enough to uh, to do that, but it was just a fun, you know, it's, it's a fun place. PepsiCo is a great place that summer, really made a lot of great friends and, you know, even doing things like that, you can just confirm what a, what a great place it was.
1: So let's talk about your trajectory at, at Pepsi. I mean, you pretty sure. much uh, have held every role under the sun, promoted up through the ranks there. Looking back on it now, for someone who fi- finds themselves at a great organization like Pepsi, and guess what? Some people these days still stay at companies for a long time. What what kind of it what kind of advice would you would you give them to help them smooth that trajectory through an organization?
2: I think it's one of those that even if you have the best laid plans and your dream of okay, I'm gonna do this role, then this role, then like nobody knows. And you don't even know, and you're gonna find some of the most fulfilling and valuable experiences in the roles you never thought you would want or thought you would have. You're gonna not want the other things. A lot of it's going to be who you meet, who you're working with, who your boss is. There's there's so many dynamics that uh, I see a lot of junior people get really tripped up on. Hey, you know, if I don't get promoted in the next month, I'm going to fall behind. And oh my gosh. And and it's like, listen, like your career is long. It's like a one or two or three month kind of differential shouldn't really make a difference in anybody's thing. Obviously, you want to make sure you have a plan and you're getting the right people engaged and connecting and the right experiences. And so I've really just tried to focus on each of the roles I've taken on, making sure there's new incremental learning and you're stretching yourself and trying new things. And I've always been a big believer of, and I I get this advice to people when they take on any new role, is the role doesn't make you, you make the role. And when I think about that, it really is so many people are like, oh, I don't want to work in this part of the business or I don't want to do what so and so is doing. And I'm like, (laughs) you don't have to do what they're doing. Actually, you just have to do that job. You can redefine it within certain parameters to make it work harder for how you see that job. And that's kind of what I've done in all the roles I've come into, whether it's the sports marketing role, whether it's uh, the water role coming in and starting new brands like Bubbly. And yeah, we're going to get to Carter, that. All the way to, you know, currently on Pepsi, it's just you you make your own role, you know?
1: I I love that. Make your make your own role, but that but the ability to do that comes with a couple of things. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have to build up the the relationship and the credit equity within the organization. You can't just come rolling into a company and be like, "I know you guys hired me for this role, but you know what? Screw that. I want to do something else." You 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 can't just do that. So two two follow up questions I have here, and 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 the first one is there had to be some some mistakes along the way early on, later on. I'm I'm sure you're still making mistakes now. Of course, but you know. Again, the show is about the, the those key learnings. I mean, what was one of those big stumbling blocks early on during your time at Pepsi that you really yeah. learned from? And maybe it was going from a small organization to this large global conglomerate.
2: It wasn't even that as much as like like I said, I think um, the big learning at a place like PepsiCo is you got to bring everybody along with you on the way. It is a big company. You got matrix management. You got to get you buy in. Stakeholders throughout all of it. And I think while well, you're super junior. You know, as you think of the tasks and what you're accountable for, um, you're much smaller focused things. And as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, your roles and your job affect more and more people, which means you need to bring more and more of them along, along the way. And I think as I was pretty head down and really focused and I'm a big driver and go, 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 you know, I think early on, even in like my um, in my sports role in the first year or two was just a little bit, um, you know, I would just go fast and go quick and get it done and wouldn't really. Look up or left and right a lot to say, oh my gosh! I probably should have connected with this person first. I probably should have, you know, aligned a little bit better there. And so you learn a little bit more over time. And as you also get into becoming more of a leader versus a doer, um, how to really influence others and bring others along with you uh, along the way, rather than just kind of keep your head down and run. And it's it's a really critical skill, I think, in any company as you as you really hone that uh, and continue Solid. to move.
1: And that's incredibly solid advice. And I'm sure along the way, in the in the couple of decades that you spent at Pepsi, um, you've, I'm sure you've been poached. I'm sure you've you've have have you had the thought of leaving?
2: Yeah, there's always. Listen, there's always you know people reaching out and external things coming up, and you know you'd be silly not to be like, okay, well, what Please what listen. is that? And look around, you know, and and all that stuff. But uh, listen, for me, I'm somebody who, as long as I'm challenged, as long as I. Uh, feel like I have continued room to grow and uh, am continually evolving and, and pushing myself, uh, I think you're, you'll find great. And that, what's been great about PepsiCo is, you know, you look at me on paper and say, oh my God, you've been there for 15 years. Um, I've changed jobs every like two to three years. So I feel like I've had a million jobs and continually changing jobs now. So then the same company, but I don't think people also realize how big PepsiCo is. Yeah. You know, I've done Food service. I've done water. I've done Mountain Dew. I've done you know sports marketing. I've You've done, done the Dew. Do. I've done the <laughs> Dew. I've, and, uh, everything uh, under the sun, and it's been uh, it's, it's been great. And I've learned different things. Also, the other thing that's great is you get to work with different leaders and different teams and experience all sorts of different styles, which has been great.
1: Is is that where you got hooked up with Vayner with uh with with Dew with Gary Vee and the team when you went when Mountain I was on
2: Dew it was the first time right when Vayner was starting yep. to kind of come that's up. When I was we there, connected, we connected with them. Yep, and. Uh, you know Gary and AJ and the whole crew there. We started working with, and then uh, it's just kind of kept from there and kept in touch with Gary and uh, yeah. Now even on Pepsi, we're doing a lot with them in, in various different ways. So that's uh,
1: exciting. And I think I saw you're on the you're on the Vcon lineup, right?
2: I am. I'm on the VCon lineup. Yes, that'll be that'll it. be fun. Are you going out
1: there? I am going out there covering the podcast out there, so we could do a oh, follow up interview. Oh, I, am, I, I am. I got media credentials, so that's going to be pretty exciting.
0: Hey everybody, first I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and hundred live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the pause course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at the This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcast, or you're using it for B2B, or B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at the and learn all my secrets. Thanks. I want to go back to bubbly. That's that's an interesting
1: story because <laughs> creating creating a new a new business within an existing business, new product lines and everything. Um, let's talk a little bit about that adventure and some of the ups and downs of building build, building another tremendous brand within a tremendous brand.
2: Yeah, it um, so I came into the uh, water portfolio to lead our water portfolio. and at the time, We had Aquafina, uh, which again we still have, and it's a great brand and the number one mainstream water in the U.S. and all that. But as you look at the water category, it's growing like gangbusters. You got Mm -hmm. sparkling water, premium water, coconut water, alkaline water. I mean, every water, water. CBD,
1: THC, water, you have everything. Yep,
2: everything. It is going crazy and exploding with growth and. As a big company, we weren't really doing much. We were like, well, we got Aquafina and we got Aquafina sparkling. We got
1: water and sparkling water. We got right, water and, and bubbling.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so and so the question was like, hey, well, what could we do differently? And so I really came in there, took a very consumer-first approach on how we built a framework to how we looked at the water category and it said three-year plan. Year one, we were going to launch our first premium water, which ended up being Life Water, which is a premium water that has art on the outside of the labels and was from this insider that people carry the bottles around with them all day. And it's almost like a badge in the role that the art and the packaging and the distinctiveness and the sea of sameness could play. And I think for the second year, we was like, hey, sparkling water. There was this brand called LaCroix that was growing like gangbusters, yep. but- Kind of by accident. Um, kind of
1: were, a cult I, following that took off, yeah.
2: It is, but it was kind of a, you know, they it, they didn't, it was almost by accident. They've been around for like 20 years prior and they just kind of started taking off because they had this kind of quirky look and feel and millennial, the, basically the insight was people were looking for the fun of a soda with the permissibility of a sparkling water. And because they were so much not like Every other um, sparkling water, which was about purity and blue and and flavors and colors and and neon and and weird flavors and kind of this quirky throwback kind of thing going on. There was a lot there. And we said, listen, like we can probably build a better mousetrap really from, you know, true consumer insights. And this power of, um, you know, the real insight was that uh, these millennials at the time who were driving the category growth, had this insight around adulting is hard. Um, and this idea of you need these little moments of playfulness, like whether it's sending a gift to your friends, whether it's just being silly for a second, whatever it is, um, how do you kind of embody that? And so we built this brand, Bubbly, uh, really tapping into that truth from the packaging and the bright colors, the tabs that say like, hey, you and hi, yo, and all the, yep. you know, the little smile and the logo and and all of that stuff really built an ecosystem around it. Um, and. Um, you know, launched it with a series of of gifts, and then it evolved to Michael Bublé and the whole thing. So, uh, and it's going to be our next billion dollar it's, brand, probably, which is awesome.
1: Speaking of billion dollar brands, I'm holding up this one right here that I was drinking before, and I, and and that's where th- this came from. And my fun fact, to anyone listening out there, one of my first internships before I got into, and we talked about this, my, <laughs> one of my biggest career regrets too. I did an internship over at Vitamin Water before before it got sold, and um. I learned about brand marketing and I learned, I sat next to the copywriter who wrote these and she (laughs) gave me a lot of the insights of where these little quirkyisms came on the vitamin war there. So fun fact, that's where my background comes from. Food service, uh, where you go
2: with with, with bubbly, all the, the fun little sayings on the cans. I remember that, uh, you know, we had wanted to do something fun that had each little can had a little saying or personality with it. And I remember, uh, trying to inspire my team. I, so I'm also big, like I love Taco Bell uh, and I don't know if you know the little hot sauce packets have all these little sayings and stuff like <laughs> I got like a bag just filled with hot sauce packets and just dumped them on the desk of, uh, of this, this woman on my team. And I said, hey, there's some fun inspiration. You know, what would be something that as we think about our brand voice, how would we want to talk to consumers from our packaging? What are things? And we started the process there and it was a, it was a lot of fun.
1: I think you just want an excuse to get a, a boatload of Taco Bell and expensive back to the did. company. I, got, I mean, I let's be honest food. here, Todd. I mean, let's cut the bullshit here. Like you can
2: pizza, a few chalupas. <laughs> I got I got the whole I mean, listen, I got the crunch wrap, Supreme, I, I can Taco Bell all day long, man. That I, is that is my I jam. love
1: it. Good stuff there. So I want to hit the rewind button again and I hope that the uh the PR team that's listening here doesn't scold me for this one. But I think it's been long enough where we could talk about the, the the Kendall Jenner live for the now. What was the biggest takeaway coming out of that one afterwards when you did the post mortem?
2: Yeah, well, listen, that was before my time on the the Pepsi uh, okay. leading the Pepsi business. Just to be clear, so that was not me. So, for, um, so so let's, so let's, so, let's so let's let's rephrase yeah.
0: this
1: as a as a seasoned beverage marketer. Yeah, what was your takeaway from the Monday morning quarterback seat?
2: So, so here's what I'll tell you, I was leading our water business at the time, starting bubbly and life water and all that stuff while this was happening on the, the Pepsi side. And this this was some work that had come from our global team at the time. And um, listen, the headline is it's it's not great. It was not right. And it, it, for me, the big, the big aha was really trying to, uh, it, it just really was clear like brands should know the lanes in which they should play and where they shouldn't play. And it really starts with knowing who you are as a brand what Your brand position is who you are, who you want to be, what you're all about, and what you are not all about as a because of that. And so, shortly after that, uh, is when they tapped me to say, Hey, can you please lead the Pepsi brand and help turn around this brand? Uh, clearly, as the brand had been um flailing and having some some difficulties from a business and from a brand standpoint, had 10, um, 10 years of uh, declines in the business, and the, the this thing happened uh just prior, and so coming in, I had to really start from scratch and say, well, let's just start with the consumer. Who are we really talking to? What are we trying to be? And it was clear we were trying to be in a space and a brand that was not what the brand really is and how it is culturally perceived. So that was a good starting point to really start our journey and, and get into who our consumers are, which has led us to the repositioning and and great turnaround we've had today where we've now had 15 straight quarters of growth on this brand after 10 years of decline.
1: So. And that's awesome. And, and the more I listen to this and I, and I hear about your background and your upbringing and you have this entrepreneurial spirit, has there ever been that pull to the other side of going out on your own and, and, and starting, starting something, creating something? I mean, do you have any yeah, like of kind course. of side hustles, hobbies on the side that kind of fuel this? Of
2: course. Yeah. I mean, listen, I am, um, you know, and anybody who knows me knows I'm like a, uh, I cannot shut my brain off. And I am an idea generator, just always thinking, looking, trying to experience new things and culture and stuff. And so, yeah, I have always, um, you know, I have that knack no matter what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, some hobbies, and stuff. like I've gotten into NFTs and all that kind of stuff. And oh, we'll just get getting there. Three, which is kind of fun. I've, uh, you know, I've always done that. But I think at the end of the day... Um, you know, as as your life evolves along with it. Right. I'm, I'm married. I have kids in a house. And as you think about what you want to put out on the line and for when and how, like right now, I'm I'm quite content at a, at a big company. Uh, that being said, I enjoy quite the entrepreneurial chase and the building and the elements of it all. But, um, you know, I, I think I've gotten a good blend where I almost view the world of PepsiCo as I've been an entrepreneur starting new things throughout my 15 years, funded by the, the VC backing of PepsiCo.
1: I love it. You that's, know, getting
2: them to unlock all the fun stuff.
1: That's great. Uh, to think about it. Yeah. So yeah. let's so let's let's make that let's make that that right turn into the future here, and let's talk about NFTs. And I applaud Pepsi um, with the mic drop being an early adopter. Sure. I mean, we are still, in my opinion, first at bat, first inning of this Web three world. Totally. Um, uh, side note: Are you are you are you involved in in Gary V's V Friends? Did you get into that? So
2: I, uh, it's funny. I, I missed the first minting. I didn't get to the second one as well. So I've, you know, he always gives me shit about it. But it's, um, you know, yeah, he's doing great with the V Friends property and a lot of the stuff that he's been building. But yeah, I've gotten into a bunch of other projects and stuff.
1: What, uh, as much as you want to share, what, what projects excite you these days, and and why so? Like, what do you look for when you're evaluating a, an NFT project?
2: I think it's, I think it depends on what you're really looking to do at the end of the day. There's a lot of people who have these kind of like, call it the get rich quick schemes. Oh, and that's not paper not hands,
1: for me.
0: paper like, hands. The,
2: yeah. I'm not the day trader. I'm not looking to to kind of do this. I want to kind of part learn and then part just do what I like and, and all that stuff. And obviously if it appreciates, that's amazing. Um, and so there's some stuff that, you know, like that I just really dig the art. And I think it's really provocative, whether it's, um, I don't know if you know. Creature World uh, is is super cool. I like um, uh, Woman in Weapons. Oh, that's uh, great. Is, I think super cool. Uh, Flower Girls. You know things like that. Um, you know, and then I've also started to get into some of these more uh, historical NFTs, uh, if you will. Like, um, you know, are you buying the, the Constitution?
1: Uh, are you part of that, Dal?
2: Not, not part <laughs> of that one. But, you know, <laughs> that's the, crazy,
1: right? Like, they have the ability. Totally, but that you know, shows the, the power um, of it. Yeah.
2: It, the, there's the wrapped strikers, which is like the first ever sports card that was traded on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. There's curio cards, uh, which is supposedly the first NFT. I got a curio card, you know. So I've I've done some of those, and then um obviously you know just try and futz around with some other fun ones and things like that um you know and just to explain i bought like one of snoop's you know songs, oh, those are cool you know and that, just, just trying to see new stuff
1: the for for me i love that side of it royalty royal uh they're doing the music licensing and the whole nft royalties like you could own a part of a track part of a song you could own a crazy you could it's own really a beat to it in
2: yeah, not like I'm gonna do anything with it, but I, I have it.
1: <laughs> no, it, it's awesome, and I think it's really changing the game and the way people think. So, as much as you can or are willing to share, I'd love if you could kind of get into like Pepsi's mindset around around the NFTs and the Mic Drop project and yeah. what, what that looks like from a long term perspective and a short term perspective, especially sure. how it keeps customers and the audience engaged.
2: Yeah, I think um, there's a few things. I think one is, um, you know, we're a brand that prides itself on being on the cutting edge and trying and pushing where culture's going and all of that. And this is a space, I'm confident this is not a fad. I think this is uh, as significant as the creation of the internet uh, in terms of what it will do and disrupt the future of business, how we interact. And so I think getting dirty early in the space, really understanding what it is, what it isn't as a company is really, really important. I think for Pepsi, as a brand uh, with such a deep heritage in music, we talked about the halftime show, you can go back to Britney Spears, Beyonce, Michael Jackson, this and that. Um, You know, we're a brand that music is at our core DNA. And um, we thought it was a fun way to just kind of dip our toe in the water with some generative art, some really cool looking uh, microphones um, that we wanted to give out for free to consumers. uh, And... um, you know, give them some value that, you know, again down the road, we'll see where it all goes. We do have a lot of plans to continue to build upon that platform and in the space as we think about web three, as we think about other projects. I do think, however, we need to pace ourselves, um, given there is still a lot to be done from a legal standpoint as you look at, you know, oh, securities risk, from a finance standpoint, as you look at kind of big companies and, and all of it to make sure we're we're being very thoughtful about it. Because the other thing to note is um an NFT is forever, right? It's not like mm-hmm. you can just turn it off or, or whatever. Once it's out, it's out, and what you're doing. And so, you want to make sure you're taking the right steps. And you know, I've been running around the building, getting a lot of folks uh, immersed in the space, talking to people, really understanding, knowledge. make sure they understand what it is. Because I think the um, the real benefit of this space is around community building moving forward. Uh, and we haven't done that quite yet, to be honest, as the mic drop. But that is in the cards uh, in the future of where we see it going. And how we see it engaging with the ultimate metaverse in the future.
1: And I I love that take on it, Todd. And and I I agree with you. I think right now it's the educational phase. And I think if you look at Gary as an example, he's doing a tremendous job laying out the roadmap of, of vFriends, but he's also teaching folks for the first time, had to get involved in making it very user-friendly. And obviously it's self-serving a little bit because you're getting them into your network, but I don't see a lot of other projects doing that where they're really trying from an educational perspective. So let's switch gears here. And um, before we bring it home, and I'd be remiss when I have an opportunity to talk to a senior executive, this show's roots where it started from are about recruiting and hiring and the job journey and the career journey. So we're going to get a little secret uh, alpha, as we like to say in the Web3 world here. So when you're interviewing Todd, and a yeah. candidate gets to you, I'm going to assume they already have the skill set and experience that you're looking for for this particular role. So when they get to you, you're really vetting them for character and 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 culture to see if they're going to be a culture, Ed. But yep. what are a couple of your go-to questions?
2: <laughs> so well, first, the first part I always look of any resume is the bottom. It's the, the shit you think you don't care about. Like, oh, I like cooking. I like traveling. I ran 12 marathons. You know, like, because that the the paper to the point if it's getting to me i'm assuming they know a thing or two about the right. job the function and i'm pretty sure we'll talk a lot about it what i'm sure they're not ready to talk as much about is what they're like as a human what they how they interact with other people what their hobbies are what the you know like i care culture matters a ton to me obviously the capability is one of the the center cut things you're looking for depending on the job but culture fit is equally as critical in my mind yeah um and then and as far as questions, you know there's a whole range of you know it depends also again on on what type of thing, but you know you're always looking for examples of tell me a time when you led this or when you did that and and all of that kind of stuff, but I think um you know it's just um, hey, what would it be like uh if we were to go out for a beer, what would we be doing where would we go how like what would be you know you just want some very casual just uh just to understand. Uh, what the person's like, and if if you're in the trenches, you know, would you enjoy working with this person? Is is really important.
1: And and it's a common and it's a common response that you're providing right now that I hear from from a lot of executives at, at this age. But what about red flags? I mean, let me ask you a question. Yeah, somebody could come and they could have all the experience that they need, and do you have to like? be best friends with this person as long as you guys jive as long as you get along with them that's cool but there but there has to be some red flags along the way i mean what about like you know when it comes to like understanding you know people who actually do versus what they say and that are actually producing i mean how do you kind of separate the uh the the chef you know how do you get there i think
2: there's there's a few things i think one red flag is i've been in some of these interviews that are horrible where um you just say, hey, so how's it going? Once you start? And the, the first question is always the biggest layup, which is tell me about yourself. Or Give me a Sup little boy? bit of like, what, what brings you here whatever, right? And it's such an open-ended question, which is great. As the interviewer, you should already know what the hell you're saying and mm-hmm. not making it up on the spot. I've had people who've talked the entire 30 minutes off of that question and haven't let me even get a second freaking question. <laughs> in. And I'm like, already tuned out by the first, so... You need to be brief. Um, I've read your resume. If I'm with you now, obviously, tell me what you've done, and we can click into stories. But I would treat an interview as more of like a choose-your own adventure rather than a presentation, right? So it's not you saying, "Hey, here's me," and step, step one, step two, step three. It's like, "Hey, here's the broad, here's the synopsis, here's who I am on a broad stroke, the summary. Where would you like to click in? You want to mm-hmm. learn about this? Oh, you want to talk about a time when I did that? You want like that? Give them the opportunity. Go and then. A little bit of also the vibing, like the formalness, just again, and that's just more my own personal style. Like I, um, you know, I like more informal, you know, just more conversational interactions.
1: And I think it's important, too, for candidates to kind of get a read on the interviewer and their style early on. You know if they can and kind of adapt it, I think that shows real uh e q from that aspect all right totally. so let's 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 break it home here todd and 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 I say this all the time this show is my master class. I get the opportunity <laughs> to spend you know forty seven minutes with a Todd Kaplan with a bracket Darrow, all these other crazy awesome executives out there. Yeah, so yeah. let me ask you this: what does the word authentic mean to you
2: It means just that be real be uh you know what you see is what you get um and that's something that uh I pride myself on authenticity of how I show up at work is also how I show up at home is also how I show up with my friends. Sure, um, I might be a little bit looser on some regards, right. or but I i mean, listen, I drop my share of F-bombs and I, you know, do my thing, you know, but it's like, you got to be real and who you are. This is what I'm wearing. I wear a hoodie and a hat every day on Zoom. I literally have meetings after this and before this that are work meetings. It's, that's it, you know, like, so... <laughs>
1: That's 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 who it is here. And when when you when you kind of look back and and think about the the mentors that you've had in your life and the people that have inspired you, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day?
2: I think there's, you know, I mean, shit, that's a loaded question because there's so many amazing pieces of advice I would say, and amazing leaders that talk about the rotations at PepsiCo. But I think one of the best that I always loved and I've kind of turn this into my own analogy that I can kind of share with you as well. But it's this idea of what got you here won't get you there. And as you think about your career journey, and I even told you about how, you know, when I was fairly junior, what I was rewarded on and what was good was then as I got to the next level, it. so it's like, and, and as I've started to kind of coach my own team on this, I've I've built my own kind of like a sports analogy. So I'm a big sports nut to it, but think of it like this, like, and I'm a big basketball fan, big Lakers fan. But the um, you know, if you're a rookie, okay, you're probably like you're riding the bench, you have your role on the team, you get your couple minutes tonight, you're doing your thing, and you know, just kind of do your thing. And then as you start to get more and more playing time, okay, maybe you're the sixth man, you're doing, you're continuing to do it, but it's again, get your points, get your assists, get your stuff. You finally become a starter, okay. And so it's okay, now you're have to, you're they're relying on you to do more and all of it. But again, the the benchmark of success as you go from rookie all the way to starter all the way to captain. Um, it's it's pretty much the same. As you become captain, then it becomes a little bit about modeling behavior, how you coach the junior people informally, how you show by doing. As you go from captain, then you go to coach, head coach. Okay, now that's a entirely different skill set. So you've now hung up your sneakers and put on a pair of loafers and yep. a suit, and you're on the sidelines, and so no one can give a shit if Phil Jackson can hit a three-pointer or if Michael Jordan can have a conversation with that. right? And so how you coach and motivate and inspire the team from the sidelines is very different at a different at that next level of leadership. Then you go from coach to GM. Now you're up in the box. You're not even running the plays. You're like building the players. You're setting the vision, the strategy. You're an owner. You know, as a GM and an owner, there's next two levels. And so, what got you here won't get you there. What made you go from being a great rookie to a great starter to a captain? It's very different than what makes you a great coach and a great GM, et cetera. So it's just a good way to think about, you know, your skills is over your career.
1: I love it. That's a great perspective. And last but not least, you look back on your life and your career. And there's those times when it has not been all sunshine and roses. And those are those moments in Todd, when you need to reach down deep inside and harness yeah. that inner tenacity to pull yourself up. And on the flip side of that. When you're sitting here at the end of that Super Bowl halftime show, and you're like, "Fuck yeah, that was <laughs> awesome! That was literally the like the whole world is clapping alongside of you, and you and your yeah. team created something awesome." And you want to show gratitude, and you look at your life, your family that you've built. Yeah. What keeps you focused in life? What is your compass, Todd Kaplan, What is your north star?
2: So my north star is just uh, it is that the the family and making sure that you always you know no matter what you do at work, no matter what you do in a great meeting, great in the office, it's you know, you go home at the end of the day, or you are home a lot of the time now, right. as it turns out on with Zoom and everything else. And it's um, you know, you gotta make sure uh, you know, why are you doing it all? You're doing it for the people you love, the people you want to spend time with, you know, making sure on the weekends, you know, you know, I'm very present with my kids at their practices and their their games that we're going to, and you know, you're home for dinner and, and hanging out and, and just really, you know, making sure you're not you're, you're connecting all those things in the right way, uh, for the right reason. And so, uh, yeah, those are nice wins and when things go well with the job and obviously you love the kind of, whether it's the accolades or the support and all that stuff, but, uh, it's nothing still beats a a good hug from your kids and, uh, you know, hanging out on the couch, watching a movie, whatever, all that stuff. So
1: nothing at all. Ty Kaplan, I want to thank you so much for joining me, hang with me one moment here as we sign off. Uh, where can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Where do you live on social?
2: Yeah. So uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, You can check out my LinkedIn profile. You can follow me on Twitter. I think my Twitter handle is at T underscore cap, K-A-P. And uh, those are probably the first main, main two places to kind of check me out and uh,
1: go from there. Good stuff, Todd. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me, my audience, and all your wisdom. Hang with me one second here. Everyone out there, this is what this show is all about. Let's get to it. Let's get down to how successful people got to where they are, the lessons learned within. I hope everybody learned something from this episode. I want to thank you all for joining me. You know where to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. You know where they are. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody.